Our scripture reading today is from the book of Jeremiah. This is a prophecy from Jeremiah. We're going to be reading from chapter 24, verses 1 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord showed me two baskets of figs placed before the temple of the Lord. This was after King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had taken into exile from Jerusalem King Jochaniah, son of Jehoiakim of Judah, together with the officials of Judah, the artisans and the smiths, and had brought them to Babylon. One basket had very good figs, like first ripe figs, but the other basket had very bad figs, so bad that they could not be eaten. And the Lord said to me, What do you see, Jeremiah? I said, Figs. The good figs, very good, and the bad figs, very bad. So bad that they cannot be eaten. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so I will regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I have sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. I will set my eyes upon them for good, and I will bring them back into this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. But thus says the Lord, like the bad figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten, so will I treat King Zedekiah of Judah, his officials, the remnant of Jerusalem who remain in this land, and those who live in the land of Egypt. I will make them be a horror, an evil thing to all of the kingdoms of the earth, a disgrace, a byword, a taunt, and a curse in all the places where I shall drive them. And I will send a sword, famine, and pestilence upon them until they are utterly destroyed from the land that I gave them and their ancestors. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks be to God, even when it's a really hard word. (laughs) That is tough, friends, and hopefully by the end of it, we'll understand a little bit more. Uh, But first, I want to share with you an experience that I had during the second week of renewal leave. I had taken just six weeks of renewal leave. Maybe you didn't even know that I was gone, or you thought, wow, that actually went really fast. Yeah, summer always goes that fast, (laughs) doesn't it? Yeah. So the second week of renewal leave, uh, my family and I went to Whitewater State Park, which is a favorite place where we like to go and camp. And one of our favorite things to do when we camp there is to swim in the freshwater stream, specifically where it pools up to like uh, pools of three to five feet of depth. And we can actually swim in there. The other parts are really shallow. And so we go in there and we, we jump into the water and it's, it's really refreshing. But this year, we decided to do it as a family. A lot of times I'm the only one who wants to plunge in and we decided to do it as a family and we held hands, all of us, and uh, we stood there and we sang this weird little song that I'm not going <laughs> to sing to you. The girls made it up and then we counted down from, from three, three, two, one, and then we ran in and dove into the water and it is freezing. It's like so cold. Baylor calls it burning cold water. That's how cold the water is. I mean, it's true. You kind of tingle a little bit. But I'm telling you, friends, we come out of the water and we're screaming and just having the time of our life. I mean, in this moment, every part of me is engaged. 
Every part of me is present. My mind is just focused on this burning cold water. My body is feeling the sensation and my emotions. Every part of me, my, it, the entirety of my soul is invested in this experience. And maybe that's part of why the memories of that time are so vivid. Because I'm getting in that moment the full effect of not just vacation, but being fully present to my family and to the experience. This is the clearest example and the most recent example I have in my personal life of, of uh, living my life with my whole heart. Like wholeheartedly being present in this experience. Can you think of some part of your life where maybe you're engaged with your whole heart? Like all of your emotion, all of your intention, all of your effort and strength are just focused towards that experience? I'm certain that you have one. Like in that moment, you are so present and there's nothing else that you would rather be doing. Most of us take vacations with that kind of wholeheartedness. <laughs> Even before we go on the vacation, we're looking forward to the experience and all of our, our thoughts, all of our emotion, all of our intention is towards that experience. We're full of enthusiasm and focused. Maybe watching family members in their respective sport might be something you do with your whole heart. Or playing your favorite sport, you do it with all of your heart. If this is you playing with your kids, you do it with your whole heart, God bless you. It's, it's really challenging. And I see grandparents who do that. They, they play with their grandkids with their whole heart. Maybe spending time with family that you don't get to see very often. Some garden or read with all of their heart. What I'd like us to see together is the experience of engaging life with our whole heart, makes some kind of an impression upon us and the people around us. You can tell when someone's really engaged with something. They love it. They're really focused. Recently, I learned the history of a, a very successful company in our area from the entrepreneur who, got, who was a, a co-person in getting it started and was present in most of the history of the company that's still thriving today. I was learning this fascinating history going back you know, 60, 70 years and saying, what made the difference? I was so curious. What made the difference between developing into a flourishing company, starting from nothing, between that and, and not making it? Or when the changes come in the 80s and 90s, and especially today, you know, not being able to make it, what made the difference? And you know what she said to me? She paused for a second, and instead of some in-depth explanation, she just said, our hearts were in it. It makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? If our hearts are in it, we can adapt. We can be flexible. If our hearts were in it, if our attention and our, our affection are this focused on whatever that we do, it makes a big difference for us and the people around us. You can say that we get the full effect of whatever it is that we're doing when our hearts are in it. Maybe, see if you agree, maybe that's why God tells His people in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Verses 4-7, through seven, he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Jesus then later affirms and emphasizes this, this commandment, adding the word, Mind. And also adding that we are to love one another in the same degree with our whole heart. 
This is the truth. In other words, God created people to love God and to love others with our whole heart. But I don't know if you agree that um, this commandment and you know, the way that God lays this out and the way that Jesus affirms it, it's one of the most simple things about our faith to understand. You hear these words and you say, makes a lot of sense. I would like to do that. But it's also one of the hardest things to do. <laughs> Isn't it? I mean, if we're really honest about it, it's probably the hardest thing to do. If we say, what does it mean to do something with our whole heart and then measure, are we loving God and other people with that same intention and affection? If we're honest, we say, that's actually really hard. Many of you, many of us, and myself included, have had seasons of giving God our whole heart. Maybe powerful experiences during vacation Bible school, which starts tomorrow, uh, Sunday school, or a youth summer camp. Many people have experienced this giving God our whole heart during the walk to Emmaus retreat when everything else sort of settles away and, and is uh, silenced in our lives and we can just be really present. Or maybe being a part of a small group, going on a missions trip or helping a person in need. And yet continuing to love God and one another with our whole heart feels incredibly difficult during these times. We're busy. We're stressed. Anybody else feel this way? Anxious. Distracted. Addicted. <laughs> right? I mean, we're just learning some, some of the depths of how captive we are to some of these things. And we are living in a very difficult time. Constantly, our hearts are being pulled away from God. But this is the good news. Maybe you'll find this good news. The challenges of being human and loving God with our whole heart are nothing new. In fact, it's right from the start, right with Adam and Eve. They didn't have to think about loving God at all with their whole heart until they chose to strive for more than what God had given them. Until they, had, they, they made the choice to live outside of God's limits for what they had in life. And that's when they started to struggle to love God with their whole heart. And after God freed the Israelites from slavery to Egypt, this most amazing thing that God has done, probably except for Jesus, after he delivers them from slavery, they have the nerve to complain about the food in the desert. <laughs> you know, we don't like this anymore. We would like to go back. That doesn't sound like uh, loving God with your whole heart. Human nature and our sinful nature uh, lead us to wanting more than what God has given us. And that's exactly what God cautions about when he gave uh, us the Ten Commandments through Moses. Worked into the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments is a guide for loving God wholeheartedly. Listen to the summary of some of these uh, commandments. Don't worship any other gods. Don't make an idol for yourself. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. And practice the Sabbath which is about, not just about Sunday, but it's about rest, limitations, living within our means. These all speak to the obstacles for loving the Lord with all of our heart. Other things, other people striving after more and living outside of our limitations are just some of what steals our hearts away from the Lord. So when we get to the days of, of the prophet Jeremiah in our scripture text today, 
many people were not taking any of God's commandments seriously. And there are a lot more than the four that I laid out, right? We know that there are ten commandments, which include really terrible things like murder and jealousy and uh, envy. What are some others? Think of some? Huh? Adultery? Yeah, lots of, lots of things that are really hard to do if we're loving God with our whole heart, right? So we don't need to include those necessarily. But there are lots of things that God commands us against. And no, nobody was taking them seriously. The kings of Jerusalem and Judah had a long history of corruption, of murderous intentions, of greed, and a lust for power, which actually began with King David's son, Solomon. There were only a few kings in a long history of the Israelite people. There were only a few kings, just a handful of kings, who made efforts to lead the people to love God with their whole heart. And the neglect of love for God and God's commandments led to serious consequences for the Israelites. So there's this guy named King Jehoiakim. He was the, the king of the Israelites for a while, and he was involved in an international power struggle between Egypt and the kingdom of Babylon. He thought it was a good idea to get involved in that conflict. Like, maybe I can get in. Which one is going to win here? I'm going to try and get in on the winning side. And the, the consequence of that, his lust for power, was devastating. The kingdom of Babylon, and ruled by King Nebuchadnezzar at the time, came and conquered uh, the, the, the nation of Judah. And they were uh, captive to the Babylonians at that time. So then, the king, king Nebuchadnezzar places a puppet king in there uh, named King Zedekiah. And Zedekiah is supposed to just do whatever King Nebuchadnezzar says. Just like, do whatever I say and everything will work out. Well, Zedekiah thinks, maybe it's a good idea to try and get some more power here. And he tries to form an alliance and go against Babylon. And that led to devastating consequences for Judah and Jerusalem. The new king decides to challenge Babylon and led to the eventual destruction of Jerusalem and the exile of most of the Israelites to Babylon. And that's what our text talks about today. We have to ask the questions about punishment and, and some of those things. And it's, it's a very complicated matter to try and get into within like just a subsection of this sermon. But basically, all of Jeremiah's prophecies in this whole book, he's trying, God is trying to tell the people through this prophet, look, this is going to be hard. The Babylonians are going to come in and it's going to feel really awkward, but don't get in their way. Don't mess with them. Just endure this time and trust me. And these two kings said, nah, we got, we got a better way. We'll figure it out. And so God is saying there are going to be consequences to you not listening to what I'm cautioning you against. What's most fascinating to me is that God surprisingly promises a blessing for the people who are exiled. I mean, if you think about how devastating exile must be to be uprooted from your land, do you think that you would feel like this experience is a blessing? Probably not. Everything in your life is changing. But this is what God says. The good figs are regarded as good exiles. God promises to, this is what he says, set my eyes upon them for good, bring them back to the land, build them up and not tear them down, plant them and not pluck them. God promises to give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people and I will be their God, says the Lord. All of these promises for God's people who are exiled to a foreign land are part of a cause and effect relationship 
represented in the scripture. These are all the effects, all the things that God is going to do. The cause for the ushering in of all these blessings is given at the end of this text. For, because they shall return to me with their whole heart. So what we see here is that even in exile, even the worst possible scenario that they could ever imagine, there is hope. There is still hope because the blessings of God and the favor of God, the love that, ha- that God has for us is received through loving God with our whole heart. So this word here, return, is actually a Hebrew word that's translated into that. It, it actually just means repent which simply means to say we're being honest with ourselves and God about our tendency to keep worshiping the false gods and the idols that God warns us about. Money, success, comfort, our individual power that we have that we can just use however we would like and don't necessarily need to check with God and say, God, is this how you want me to use the power that I have? And instead, we're invited to surrender to God's will for our lives on a daily basis. So if we're honest about the ways our hearts are led astray by sin, we can quickly turn back to the Lord and receive His forgiveness and compassion. Every time we turn back to the Lord, we receive forgiveness and compassion. Returning to the Lord with our whole heart is actually the first step, the first step, the most foundational step, in loving the Lord wholeheartedly. Friends, this is true even when we feel like we're in exile. Feel like times uh, when the fear is intense and continuous. Everything feels like it's changing and uncertain. You ever felt like this? (laughs) Pretty common today. Even when corruption is rampant and anxiety is shared more than love is shared. There's always hope. Friends, there's always hope. Because as long as we have breath in our lungs, we can return to the Lord with our whole heart and love Him wholeheartedly. And it's the work of grace within our heart that provides assurances that God is still working despite the difficulty that we're in. We can always return to the Lord in our hearts. And that's when the blessings of God come in. And now I've found this to be true. I shared with you back in May this uh, clarity that I received about the sin in my life and how it was blocking the blessings of God and how it was creating a lot of problems for me, like an inner turmoil, an inner struggle. And I'm telling you that when I prayed a prayer of repentance with my whole heart, not just like sometimes when I sit in my bed and I just say, I'm sorry, God, you know, for... But I, I really was like desperate to say, okay, God, I'm serious here. I, I have a genuine sorrow for, for my sin. Not anybody else's, but for mine. And I prayed a prayer of repentance with Gina. She could tell you it's true. It led to an experience of an awakening. Realizing all the good that God had been wanting to pour into my heart, but that I was, that I was blocking off. Receiving all the compassion and grace of God. And, and, and returning to a place of believing that God is the one true God and is working in my life daily, regularly, for my good and for your good. That's the gift that I received. And it started with repentance. It started with returning to God and just admitting just to myself and I guess Gina, 
You know, I guess I've been turned away to some other things. And that's not how I want to live. So oftentimes, loving God more wholeheartedly involves just being honest about what might be stealing our heart. That's why there's such an emphasis on return and repent. It's a posture of being honest with ourselves about where our time and affection are going. This process also involves accepting the fact that we have limits. We, we can't do it all. We just, we can't. We have to choose what is most important to us and live according to those values. We have to choose. No one else will make those choices for us. We have to be intentional about how we want to live and who we want to love. Remember, God says, they shall return to me with their whole heart. And when God gives us a heart to love God wholeheartedly, giving our attention and our affection to God in everything that we do, we will experience the difference. Just like uh, the vivid memories on vacation. Just like the entrepreneur who said, our hearts were in it. Think of all the people that were affected by their willingness to put their heart into it. The same is true for our faith. And we wonder then sometimes why we don't feel close to God. I'm not saying any of this with judgment or to make you feel bad or guilty. Remember, I just confessed to you. Do you remember that? It's just a couple minutes ago, Frankie. Remember? <laughs> but we get, the, we get the effect of anything that we put our whole heart into. So why would it be any different with our faith in God? If we just put a little bit of our heart here and there to God, and maybe we say, you know, like if you're trying to do something on your phone and then your kids come up and they're trying to get your attention, like you can't give them your whole heart. <laughs> it's not going to be any different with our faith. So the key is just catching ourselves and saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try again. That's really what returning is. I'm going to try again. And I'm going to try again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try again to read just a little bit of Scripture. Or I'm going to try again to make it to worship. Or I'm going to try again to serve and, and find joy in it or, or whatever. I'm going to try again to read my devotion. Or I'm just going to try again to think about God and the things that I'm grateful for. It doesn't have to be complicated. It's more about our intention within our heart. I like to practice this inner reflex within uh, centering prayer. So centering prayer, you just sit silently. It's close to meditation, but it's not the same. And you try to just accept the fact that God is all around you and within you and is, loves you and is working for your good. And then almost immediately, I notice my thoughts going everywhere. <laughs> Distracting thought. So then you use a, like a, a prayer word or something to draw your attention back to God. So some use their breath. And just think about, you know, that's reminding me that God is present. That's why I'm doing this. Some say the word Jesus and just practice that inner turn of whatever is distracting us, turning back to the Lord. That's it. These are the practices that can help us return to the Lord again and again wholeheartedly so that we can receive the blessings that God is offering us. Again, remember this truth that whatever we do wholeheartedly is certain to leave an impression first upon us and then the people around us. I, I really hope that what I'm offering you today is the simple truth that you can ensure the Christian faith will be passed on through future generations through your commitment to loving God wholeheartedly. Think of this uh, entrepreneur 
and the families and the generations and the community that's been communities, multiple communities that have been impacted by two people's willingness to engage in that experience wholeheartedly. The reason I'm talking about this is because sometimes in Bible studies we end up talking about the decline of Christianity in the United States and the huge problems like decreasing church attendance or decreasing giving and all these really complicated things that honestly just feel super overwhelming. And if you watch the news, it all feels super overwhelming. And the question always comes up at some point during Bible studies or small groups, what can we do? What can we do? What do you think? Think about it for a second. What can you do? You can return to the Lord with your whole heart. And you can make the choice to love God with your whole heart. And I'm telling you, I'm promising you, if you do that, you do that today, Brian. Yes, I'm picking on you. Your family is going to know the difference. Your family is going to feel the difference. And this congregation will start to feel the difference. Especially think of if, if 10 of you do, make that decision to do that today. We will feel the difference. There will be an impression upon us. We will receive the blessings of God, not necessarily physical blessings or assurances of protection and comfort or any of that, but the inner freedom that Christ is continually wanting to pour out into our heart. In the Bible, we talk about a remnant. And this is what I'm going to talk about for several weeks here until we get to September. Every time I think about what's happening in, in Christianity, I remember these words from my mentor who talked about that throughout the Bible, there's always been a remnant, a small percentage, a small, small percentage of God's people who during these uh, generations of corruption and greed and evil, there's a small percentage of God's people who make the, the faith possible for future, future generations because they commit to the Lord. The large percentage of God's people fall away. But it's that faithful remnant that's partially described in this text. He also talks about the remnant that was corrupt. But the faithful remnant, those who were exiled, who found themselves in a, a terribly hard, unimaginable circumstance, those are the ones who paved the way for our faith today. Without their faithfulness, we wouldn't be here. They paved the way for the ministry of Jesus. And it started with them returning to the Lord, loving the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Within exile, within the struggle. And that's the same invitation, the same hope that we have today, friends. We can't control the bigger picture of anything that's happening today. But we can claim the promises of this text by returning to the Lord, loving Jesus with our whole heart, trusting in the work of the Holy Spirit to continue to bring hope and joy to our lives, our families, and our community. Amen.